Hello everyone, welcome back to my podcast. My name is Forrest Stevens. Today I'm going to be talking about a few different things. Um, the last two episodes were about my mum who is dying from cancer, so I just want to give a quick update on that before we get going on anything else. She has decided to do MAID, which is Medical Assistance in Dying, um, in just three days. Um, she decided a couple days ago, and um, we've all been kind of just dealing with the the feelings that have come up. I mean, grief is such an interesting thing. Um, you kind of think you're ready for it. You prepare for it however you can and whatever that means. And you end up just like not really being able to. It just hits you and you feel it. And it's not something that you control. It's kind of out of your control. And sometimes you think you're going to feel grief and sometimes you don't. And Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. And that kind of makes me think about what I was feeling as well when, when this was announced by my mom and she told us. Um, I was thinking about how, and I, st and I tried to convey this to Emily and I wasn't really able to find the right word. So I'm going to try to say it elegantly now, but uh, I doubt it'll come out that way. Um, it's not that she's dying that is sort of sad. It's that I, I get really emotional when I look at pictures of her when she's young and full of life and living in this world that resembles mine and I see some similarities. You know, she grew up on the West Coast just like I did. She went to the beaches and swam and she was this lively, beautiful person at one time. And that life is not going to continue and that feeling is what makes me sad um, it's not the fact that she's dying it's the fact that she was living and was such a lovely person so i think it's very reasonable not to feel grief when you lose somebody that or when somebody dies and you don't know who they are if you have no connection to who they are um, you know somebody you know, you hear about deaths, right? And when it becomes numbers, it's another thing. It's another thing on top of it. But you might hear about a death, uh, you know, some actor, some musician, some person that gets reported on in the news, even a friend saying, oh, this person died. And you don't feel grief from it um, because you don't know them. You don't have a connection to them. You don't know about their life and they didn't actually mean anything to you. I mean, death happens all around us and it doesn't make sense for us to feel grief at every moment of death. Um, that could extend also to the death of other beings, not just humans. Uh, you know, it could extend to the death of, of things that don't express like we do, the death of plants. I mean, it doesn't make sense on a human level. It doesn't make sense on a survival level to feel grief at death, at any, at, at, at everything, right? Um, but what does make sense is to feel grief at death when it's personal and when, especially when it's somebody that you love and it's when somebody who was good to you and somebody that was, um, that they're, you know, it's not somebody that you dislike. Um, it's not somebody that you feel angry at. Uh, and, 
you know, there, there is that opportunity to have a death in the family, even if it's somebody like, you know, like what I'm experiencing with um, the death of a parent. It, it is definitely possible to have a parent who has been terrible to you. Um, and if they died, the grief might not hit you because there needs to be that connection for grief to happen. I really believe that. Um, so there's this this idea that I, I've come up with that grief hits you unexpectedly, uh, even when you feel like you won't be feeling it, it, it's still, it's not something that's within your control, but that still stems from something that stems from the feeling that this person was so alive and this person was this person to you. So if that person, for instance, if my parent um, who was dying was not a good person to me, um, uh, who filtered everything perhaps through a narcissistic lens that um, I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel grief I would feel other things perhaps you know I feel maybe possibly guilt um, I'd feel sad but I wouldn't feel grief um, so funny I'm about to offer some advice and that leads into the next thing I want to talk about which is um, but my advice at this moment is to be good to people around you that's the thing about advice right there is what does that even mean um, advice is another thing that I was thinking about because of something that has happened this week um, some reaction to my podcast I mean my podcasts are these last two ones have been so deeply emotional and and so driven in this family thing and family dynamics are so messed up for so many people um, that there has been some interaction because of that and and that interaction has made me think about influence and it's made me think about advice and it's made me think about how general advice does not apply and how in fact it's really idiotic to apply general advice to yourself when somebody says something. Um, specific advice is important, but you have to look at where that advice is coming from. Is it coming from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about? Is it coming from somebody who knows your situation? Because general advice doesn't account for every single person's situation. So if you say, you know, Oh, man, it's so hard for me to not think of the exact example here that I'm trying to talk about was just gave the, the advice that I just gave. Let's talk about that. That advice is to be good to the people around you, essentially. Now, when somebody hears that, if they are a type of person who is narcissistic, they will project that onto the other people around them. It's not about them. They start to think about how other people are not good to them, right? It can become a victim mentality type of, uh, they can situate advice to become the victim in that situation. Now, what I really mean by that is if you are a sane, logical person who can interpret that and not make it about themselves, they can say, they can make it about themselves in a different way. They can actually make that about themselves to be good to the other people around them. Um, 
without expectation of anything and to just because that's the right thing to do. However, so, so that's what I mean by advice is very situational. It really depends on who you are and if you're mentally ill or not, because if you, you will possibly take advice and make it about something completely different, just as the person who listened to Helter Skelter decided that it was about having to go and kill the person who wrote it, you know, um, our minds are these filters that, that just turn completely sane ideas into completely insane ideas. And the other thing too, that is just doesn't have anything to do necessarily about mental illness, but if you don't actually know what's going on, but you have perceptions of what's going on based on maybe one story or, um, just a lack of information about the entire situation or your own understanding of what a situation is. If you have developed biases, depending on if you think, um, certain people deserve respect just because of who they are, um, not because of the fact that they're only human and that we all deserve equal amounts of respect. Um, advice is just, it, advice just doesn't make sense for every single person. So, and, and, and to even go further into that, um, that's basically the problem with influencers. Uh, they, it, it can be very transparent with influencers. It can be, oh, this person is directly getting a dollar back for what they say. They're saying, hey, check out this product. And I advise you to go get this product because of this, this, and this, and because I have it. And people will go and do that. But that advice is directly bought and sold. And the people taking that advice are part of a transaction. And they, whether they know that or not, or whether it's obvious to them, or whether it's um, subconscious, or whether they just understand that to its full extent. But there are also people giving advice who are influencers or um, or not, just people. I mean, everybody has a degree of influence to the people around them. And they don't actually know what's best for the, per the other person because they don't know the full situation. But they continue to give advice based on their beliefs. Um, you should go do this. You should talk to this person. You should uh, be this way in life. Why would somebody follow advice unless that is tailored to them by a person that actually knows better than them? A lot of people who are older think they know better. A lot of people who have done something know, think they know something about something else. That just isn't really the case. Uh, we all have to understand that our individual experience is only so much and that Unless we understand fully, and this is the importance and the, the real power of somebody like a therapist who really actually gets to know the root of the problem and who uses a scientific method that has been developed by psychologists before them and, you know, theorists and, um, and studies and all of this and all of the education that they hopefully hold they'll be able to filter it through that. And that's what's interesting about therapy is you're not looking at a therapist and saying, that person has it all figured out. I wanna be just like them. 
I'll listen to them. It's actually the fact that they know what the human condition is like, and they know, they understand cause and effect specifically related to development and the mind, the you know psychology of our minds. So they have a, a powerful set of tools to help people. And there are uh, a range of different, you know, therapists, some good, some bad, just like anything. Um, but it is possible if you are honest, and that is so key in therapy, you have to be completely honest, because if you are not, then you're basing all of the advice that you get from them, or all of the knowledge, or all of the information that you get from them is based off of fundamental lies. Um, you know, there was this, this quote that, that I thought was very interesting, and, and I don't know how accurate it is, but um, I listened to these comedians, and one of them was a, an alcoholic who went to this therapist, and he was going to this therapist for two years, and he finally quit alcohol, and he was talking to the therapist and said, I, I'm, you know, this much sober, and um, the therapist said, now we can actually start to work together. And it's because if you're filtering something behind an addiction that is that is hiding who you are and it's it's numbing that part out it's not allowing you to get deeper into that then you're not able to actually be completely transparent and actually talk about the fundamental root issues and the truth behind your situation in life and there are a lot of people who are not honest with themselves there's a lot of people who are definitely not honest with other people and they filter com things completely through uh, a lens of basically insanity because to not recognize reality means that you're living in a false reality which a lot of people are doing and a lot of people think that it's very very possible as well that people think that they are living in a reality that is the truth and other people are not and those types of people will try to give you advice they will try to tell you not based on a transactional thing like a like a transparent influencer or a i shouldn't say transparent but a more obvious type of influencer interaction but based on the exchange that they receive as well so there's an exchange with influencers where it's a direct cash exchange for sharing this product or this service and, and promoting it there's something else that happens where people will promote things without getting directly paid um, because there's an uh, there's an ulterior motive like think about this for instance think about an hdc that's a heavy duty christian or um you know any fundamentalists uh, uh any any people who are in some, you know, extreme cults or have some very um, strange beliefs, you know, I, fuck, I, I met this guy when I was working at a gas station who believed that the world was flat. And it was very important to him to try to convince me of that. Now, why? Well, he believed that my salvation was at hand, that if I believed the same thing as him, that, that, the biggest lie that this that the government organizations were telling me um, was was that the world is actually flat that he would save me from believing all of the bullshit right 
And so there's a, there's a sense, there's a feeling that somebody receives when they think that they've done something good for somebody else. And there's also a feeling when you tell that person that is trying to do that for you, trying to do that for you, um, that you don't, that you're not interested. There's, there can be a reaction of anger. There can be a reaction of spite. There can be an action of, um, of cutting that person off. And there can be an action of saying goodbye, um, in a, in a way where you remain powerful and righteous and strong and the other person, you don't even care what the truth is. You know, when you shut yourself into boxes based on beliefs, you are, you're closing your mind (laughs) and a closed mind rots. A closed mind destroys itself. A closed mind is a pool of water that is stagnant, that becomes infested and and cannot sustain life anymore. It becomes rotten. And uh, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense not to have an open mind. An open mind literally means that you are allowing other people to be themselves and you are accepting them for who they are and you are learning about that person, that way of life, the existence of reality around you and beyond you and making your experience bigger and better. Um, there can be challenge in that, of course, the challenge of growth um, is, is not to be understated. It's not, always, it's not always better in the moment, but it is better like the S&P 500 has always gone up for 20 years, even though it dipped in 2000, dipped in 2008, you know, it's starting to dip again, right? Like this is an analogy to the stock market, but it's always gone up past the rates of inflation even. So that's what it's like being a good person. (laughs) And I'm speaking directly to the person. I'm not saying that this is a lesson to tell somebody else. Advice should never be telephoned. Advice should be given directly. And this is the problem with this exchange right here is it's not direct. It should be situational and it should be personal. You should internalize it. You should never externalize um, advice that you receive. Externalized advice is unsolicited unwarranted and unwanted. It's, I mean, those things basically mean the same thing. There is nothing that has made me more angry in this world, I would say. And maybe that's, that's definitely my own issue. That's something that I've definitely worked on and had to, and have to keep working on, but there's nothing that has made me more angry in the past than unsolicited advice. I have cut people out of my life because of the unsolicited advice that they give me without knowing my situation. It's just, it's complete ignorance. It's, it's egotistical. It's narcissistic to believe that you know better than somebody else, unless you actually do. And if you do, it still might not be the best idea to give advice. You still might need to see, of course you need to see if that other person is actually wanting your advice. If you try to force advice down somebody 
It's like trying to force food down somebody's throat if they're not hungry. It's trying to force words down their ears without them actually listening or wanting to listen or going like this, la 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 la, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Um, so I'm going to, I'm really going to try not to give advice anymore. Um, you know, I think that's why the fundamentals of all these religions are so basic and so simple, the 10 commandments, because if there was any more, it would just be, it, it, it would become laws. It would become laws of government that are not perfect. Um, even the 10 commandments are not perfect. Um, a lot of my talks always go back to these, these Christian ideologies, ideologies and stuff because that is what is in the zeitgeist. It's not because it's personal to me even. Um, it's basically just because it's because it, it exists at some level for the majority of North Americans and Europeans. Um, but yeah, the Ten Commandments, I mean, what is that but advice? It, people might knock it up to, to some higher thing and believe that it is fundamental for you to get into, into the kingdom of heaven. Um, but the kingdom of heaven, in my opinion, doesn't exist. It does. It definitely doesn't exist beyond life. I mean, well, definitely is, is a stupid thing for me to put there, but if heaven exists, it's here on earth and it's here inside of us. And if hell exists, it's here inside of us too, because if you have intrusive thoughts, if you have narcissistic behaviors that destroy the relationships around you and don't allow you to be happy for others, um, don't allow you to not try to control others. If you are always filtering the life around you through your own existence and not just allowing life to be as it is, um, you will create hell for yourself. And maybe if you, you know, steal somebody's oxen or whatever the Ten Commandments include, maybe that will create a situation that is hellish. Maybe. Um, in a lot of cases, it probably will because we've built a society based on those laws and, and those as an underlying structure uh, that have been expanded on. And maybe there is some fundamental, uh, fundamental kind of laws of physics and laws of life that have been baked into that. And some people have really put some, some good thought into that. And I'm sure that is the case. Um, I couldn't tell you what the 10 commandments are though. Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. I don't know. Maybe that's one. I, I really have no idea, but I'm sure that, uh, the fact that so many million have died because of them and, and the other beliefs in that book. And so many people still currently believe in them. I'm sure that, uh, they've been thought out at the time, you know, 2000 or more years ago. Uh, I think definitely we need updating. Definitely we need tradition to change. Um, tradition is something not to be lost. It's something to be remembered. It's something to be built upon. It is not something to be stagnant. Once again, it's that idea of stagnation. Um, and I think about Christianity as well. 
And I just think it's so interesting that so many different sects have been created from it. Um, and there's all these really extreme ones and there's lesser extreme ones that believe completely different things. And they're all based completely off of one ideology that is written in this book. And it is so complex, this book, and it's interpreted by so many individuals that of course there's all these different ways of practicing this type of religion. Um, but I mean, religion is a fascinating thing. Um, it seems very antiquated to me. It seems very outdated. It seems very strange. It actually seems very strange to me to be involved in something like that. Especially after learning more about cults, um, you know, I've been doing some research into cults and just seeing how destructive these worlds become when people gain so much power. And 99% of cult leaders are narcissists. And I would say probably about 20% of people are could be labeled as, clinically as narcissists. I'd say it's probably the 80-20 rule. Um, and they think that basically the world's at their disposal and they're either good at manipulating people or bad at it. And they either end up dying in a mansion because of all the manipulation they've done uh, successfully, or they die all alone because of all the people they've pushed out of their life because of their hurtful behavior. Anyway, that is a really depressing note to <laughs> leave that conversation, especially after um, talking about what a beautiful life my mother has had. So, uh, you know, just to clarify, that is that is not my mom um, that I'm referring to. Um, she, like anybody, is um, not led a perfect life. I mean, has nobody's lived a perfect life. Um, there was challenges that I've had with my mom throughout the, throughout the, throughout our life. And, um, what I admired most about my mom for sure is that she was always willing to try. When I was a teenager, I, I had friends, but you know, people are busy and you're bored and I, my mom was always interested in whatever I was doing. So, you know, she went out and bought a skateboard because I was skateboarding and, and me and her would go skateboarding together. And she was, I don't know, like, I guess that was like, she was like 51 years old, you know, buying a skateboard and skateboarding with her son and, you know, doing karate with me when I was younger and just always getting involved directly with what I was doing. And, and even when, you know, she moved here and, and is living on the same property as my sister, she, um, she decided to start doing therapy at, at, at such an, you know, an older age than, um, than most people do. And for no real direct reason, like some people will do couples therapy because it's like, they almost have to, or it's like they're on the verge of a divorce or, or they have to do therapy because it's, it's almost some mandated thing, but, um, and of course, I mean, the stigmatism is changing and the, the whole, that whole industry is changing now, but a lot of people 
will not choose therapy. Um, but my mom, you know, just because my sister was getting interested in that world, um, my mom decided to do therapy at, you know, the age of, you know, mid fifties and for years and started working on these fundamental issues that she had from childhood, from childhood trauma and, um, developmental patterns that, that existed throughout all of her parent, you know, parenthood of, of me and my siblings. And, and I could start to relate to her and talk to her about my issues with her. And she could talk about the issues that she had at that time. And, um, I could talk about my own issues with her and her, and she could talk about her own issues. And we started having really great conversations basically because of one key attribute of her personality, which is willingness to try. And the willingness to try is, that's the exact same thing as being open-minded. It's not closing yourself off to something because of, of some sort of other belief. Um, she has always been open to trying things. And when I meet other people, that is the key characteristic that I try to find in them. I, I try to figure out, is this person actually trying in life or have they given up? There's a lot of people, no matter what age they are, they have stuck, they're stuck in their routines, they're stuck in their life and they have given up. They're not interested in trying anymore. They're exhausted. They're all of these different things and it's all situational based, but I mean, they might be trying in their own ways, but their ability to try or their capacity of trying is hindered and limited over this period of of just the life they have created for themselves and that has been created for them. I mean, so much of our life is dictated by who, what family we're born into, where we live, when we live um, in history, you know. Um, so much of that is not in our control. But the I would say actually the only thing that's in our control or what's underlying any other things that are in our control is our ability to try. It's the only thing that we really have. And it, and it relates to all these other aspects of life that are so important. Um, it's the only thing we have is the willingness to try and actually trying, not just the willingness, but actually putting in effort, not somebody telling you to do something, not somebody advising you based on, uh, fear and guilt and, having to do something and this is the way none of that none no tradition none of that bullshit you have to be trying because you want to it's your own decision and it's actually i mean it can come from a selfish way it can come from an unselfish reason and basically it's both because when you try you're trying to better yourself in some fundamental way. And that is good for you. And it's good for everyone else in your life. And the less you try, the worse your life will be. So that's it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. This, this fucking podcast is uh, ripping and roaring at this point. And, um, and I'm going to end it because I got a lot of stuff to do.
you know, I got three more days with my mom here before she has, you know, there's a time, there's a time and a date when she is going to die that we know. It's um, very, very interesting. It is unlike any experience I've ever experienced. Um, and it's very interesting as well because we started this trip with having to go to the vet and putting Ronnie down. And this is the first time I've talked about this on this podcast, actually. I realized that. It's not something I, I felt like talking about. Um, it was something I was just constantly exploring and, and figuring out how I felt about it. At the time, I felt just overwhelmingly sad and crying and, and grieving and really being there with him as he was, you know, put down. And, and he was so sick at the time and just on the edge of life, really, um, by the time we got him to the vet. And, but that was the beginning of our trip. And now the end of our trip is um, going to be with, with my mom dying. So it, it's, uh, it's very interesting. I don't, I don't know what that's about. Um, you know, I used to have these strong beliefs that there's no coincidence, that, you know, everything happens for a reason and all of this. But I think the reasons are, I think we give things reason. I think after the fact, I think we develop enough reasons for it to exist because the world only has one way to ever be. Uh, if we believe in quantum physics and quantum reality, the world has endless, the universe has endless ways of becoming and being. But in reality, it only ever becomes one way. And, you know, that's that comes down to fate and free will and all of these things. But ultimately, it only ever becomes one way. Um, and we only control our ability to try. So I don't know if it means anything, you know, beginning and end, you know, two deaths, um, two very important and, and personal deaths. I know Ronnie is a cat, but very personal, very much in our lives every single day. And Evelyn and I actually really changed our lives to look after this cat. And we're in this motorhome over here on the other side of the country because of the cat and we only ever got into the van because of the cat because it wasn't as simple as flying with him um we needed something where we could bring him with and live with and travel and we don't anymore so that has changed things up um we're now thinking about doing some some flight travel into our in our in our future um you know, me being a travel filmmaker, it's very conducive to be able to do that. But anyway, um, it's just wildly interesting um, living this world that I'm living in right now. And uh, the days are flying by fast and the time is flying by fast. And it's all a lot. It's all a lot. But I have a um, beautiful family around me and, and my partner, Emily. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't really have any other choice but to try and, and to work through this. And time will go by and Tuesday will arrive and Thursday the funeral and burial and I guess no funeral, but the burial and reception. And uh, when, I don't know. It's like it's literally the first burial I've ever gone to in my life. Um, first reception, funeral reception I've ever gone to in my life. It's going to be very interesting, but it will pass. It'll it'll happen. 
and all I can do is um, experience it in the moment. I can't do anything else. I mean, it's that, that great old adage of understanding the things that you control and the things that you do not control and relinquishing any thought of control over the things that you do not have control over. And actually doing something about the things that you control. It's why I don't believe in conspiracy theories. It's why I don't even get into that that world and why I actually continually advise people not to is because you can't do fuck all about these giant theories and these giant things that are happening in the world um, or not happening in the world in the, in the case of conspiracy theories. Um, you have no control over them. And, and while you care about this family, you know, for instance, like the Clinton family, you care about that family more than the family around you if you believe in these conspiracy theories about them or the Gates family or all these icons, all these giant pillars of, of industry and, and uh, p- political presence and all this. Uh, these, are, these are chess pieces that, that you believe run the world and that are existing. And it's just not important. Look at your own family. I mean, once again, I'm offering advice here, but I'm just... I'm talking to myself more than I am to you. And, and I think it's, it's, it is important not to, uh, not to be wrapped up in things that you do not control. And it's better to focus on the things that you do control. And it's also just important not to try to control things that you have no control over and other people, you have no control over other people. You have no control over them. You might think you do. You might have them brainwashed. You might have them in your snare. You don't control them. Um, I'm talking to cult leaders here. I don't know what kind of cult leaders are listening to this or watching this, but um, basically talking to narcissists as well, which are uh, definitely something on my mind constantly is is the idea of, of people being narcissists and, and working through that because it, it just strikes a real personal chord um, for me. And I think, uh, I think there's a few other people too, that, that understand that there's people in their lives who are narcissists and who will try to control them, uh, through manipulation and, um, yeah, through manipulation is the big one for sure. The only thing that is important to do is to keep trying and to really make a list, a mental list, a physical list, whatever, of the things that you are in control of in your life and the things that you aren't and divide those and recognize on this show you know i've talked a lot about money um investing is an interest of mine money is really important as a store of energy of our of ourselves and basically we can use it to create in this world we can make all these different things happen just because of the money that we either use and the more you accumulate of it the more you can create and it's just uh it's a fascinating subject and it's a lot easier sometimes to actually save money than it is to make money. So today's sponsor is Mint Mobile. And if you're in the States and you have a cell phone, you can probably save a lot of money by switching to Mint. I mean, Mint has these plans. It's like 15 bucks a month, unlimited calling, unlimited texting, five gigabytes of data. They have 4G, 5G plans. And for 30 bucks, you can get unlimited data included with that plan and so it's like 30 bucks unlimited data 
And the internet is so powerful. We need to get on there. We need to learn. I mean, you're probably, you're using the internet right now to listen to this, to download this. Um, it's important to have, and you might be able to save a ton of money by switching to Mint. So check out the link in the description for Mint Mobile. And we get a kickback here, we get a small commission. So it really, really supports the show. It's super, super important to um, feel like I can actually do this and make a little bit of cash, um, th this podcast. So it's going a long way and it's really important for you to save money as well. So if you are spending too much on your mobile, go at least check it out, see if the coverage is good for you, if the service is good for you. And basically it's a smart business as well. What they've done with Mint Mobile is they've, um, they've basically done what more and more companies are doing to save money and to pass it on to consumers, which is not have a retail store. There's a lot of empty shopping malls out there in the world now because there's no need for companies like Mint Mobile to have a cell phone kiosk in the mall or whatever storefront. And so they can pass those savings from not having to, um, you know, rent and lease that space, not having to employ those people working there. They can employ people in a more concentrated fashion so they can have less employees and serve more people basically. And they do it all online, all through the internet. And the customer service is supposedly pretty good still. Um, that's the other thing too, is you don't want to like lose things by switching to Mint Mobile. So I would I would just recommend checking them out, see if it's a fit for you. Um, basically, when I ever have a problem on my cell phone, I'm calling them anyway. I'm not going into a store. Uh, that's just, you know, you're just looking to get upcharged basically by going into a store anyway. So um, check it out. Links in this description, like I said.